3617, respond to report of shots fired. The Coroner Talk podcast takes you behind the scenes with coroners, clinicians, and death investigators from around the world to provide training, news, and interviews from leading experts in the area of death investigation and scene management, bringing real stories and solid training together in one source. Now, here's your host, Darren Dake. Well, hello and welcome to this week's episode of Coroner Talk, the only podcast in iTunes dedicated to you. Dedicated to you. The death investigation community, the people in, interested in death investigation, and even those that are not involved in it but um, just want to know more and to learn more about this industry. I welcome every one of you. Well, as this episode comes out live, it is the 18th of December, 2017, and it's just a few days away uh, from Christmas, which is a great time of the year, and as well is just three days away from my birthday. So it is, uh, I'll be 50 years old here in just a couple of days. And uh, I know, I think I mentioned this a few episodes ago. I don't think 50 bothers me, uh, but it is 50. Uh, so I, you know, I don't know. I, I, I've always looked forward to it thinking maybe, you know, it's a good, I don't know. Uh, I, I guess I'm stumbling over my words because it's 50. I don't think I'm going to have a midlife crisis, but I, Obviously, I probably have lived more on this earth than I'm going to. Um, I'm probably not going to live to be 100. I certainly could, uh, but that's not the normal. So, you know what? 50 is a landmark. I don't think I'm going to crawl into a hole. I don't think I'm going to spend all day crying. Uh, but, you know, hey, 50 is what it is. Uh, and that is uh, this week, just a couple more days away. So, anyway, I look forward to that. Hey, hey, could be just a whole new adventure, I guess. So, I just do want to let you know of a free training opportunity that we have, and then we're going to get right into today's episode. If you want some free training, you're not quite able to jump in on one of our online programs yet or even fly into Missouri from some of our on-site training, we offer a free program. It's a 12-week email training program, and so you can sign up for that, and you simply will get an email once a week for 12 weeks that has some text involved in it, some things to read, and then at the bottom, a video, a short video, which will explain uh, more about that training topic. You'll get 12 weeks of that uh, perfectly free. It's something you might want to jump in on, and it's good training. We've got hundreds of people have went through it, and we get a lot of good comments back from that. So again, just go to cornertalk.com forward slash investigator, and you can be to that landing page and you'll be able to sign up there. Also, in the show notes of this episode, you'll be able to also sign up from there to get this free 12-week training. So today's episode, I brought Dr. Barbara Weekly-Jones on the show. She is from the state of Kentucky. Now, she spent 29 years as the Kentucky State Medical Examiner, the chief medical examiner for the state. But then she retired in 2010, and since then she has become the coroner of Jefferson County, Kentucky, which is the county that Louisville is located in, or Louisville, depending, I guess, on what part of the country you're in and how you say that. But she came on the show here and talked about HRD dogs, cadaver dogs, human recovery dogs, human remain recovery dogs, 
there's a lot of different names for those, but basically what we know them as a lot of times is cadaver dogs or human remain dis- uh, detection dogs. And so we're going to talk about how they're used, what you should think about if you want to bring them in, how they're trained, the best way to train them. If you're interested in having one of these dogs, where should you start? If you're interested in bringing one to your scene, what should you do to protect the scene, if anything? How often are they right? How often are they wrong? How do they train in water? How do they train on land? Everything that about these human detection dogs we uh, covered in this episode. Of course, we simply scratched the surface, but still yet, there's a lot of good information here. Uh, you may think you know a lot about these cadaver dogs and how these cadaver dogs work, but I believe you're going to learn some things here from Dr. Jones. It was a great conversation. And so without any further delay, let's get right into that conversation I had with Dr. Barbara Weekly jones of the Jefferson County, Kentucky Coroner's Office. Adjust your earbuds, turn up those speakers, and hang on. It's now time for this week's featured conversation. All right, I'm back with you. And as I introduced, joining me on the phone today is Dr. Barbara Weekly-Jones. She's the coroner of Jefferson County, Kentucky, former state medical examiner of Kentucky, as I pre-introduced. Dr. Jones, welcome to the show today. Thank you. So I've introduced you a little bit as far as your uh, credentials uh, to the listeners before we jumped on the call here. But tell us just a little bit about who you are and, and, and things when it comes to the world of death investigation, coroner, things like that. Uh, well, um, I was a medical examiner for about 30 years and then retired and ran for coroner of Jefferson County. Um, during that time, uh, since our topic is on human remains detection dogs, uh, as when I was a medical examiner, I wrote a grant to get a cadaver dog for the state of Kentucky. Since we did not have one, the last cadaver dog we had had retired. So I wrote a grant and got money and got the first grant supplied cadaver dog for the state of Kentucky. Ever dogs ever since then. Uh, so, what what would you like to know about cadaver dogs? Yes, I think we had a little bit of a connection problem there. You dropped off just a little bit, but uh, you know, one of the things that that you interest us about cadaver dogs when it comes to you know you're talking to a bunch of police officers and death investigators and things like that and so you know you you wrote the state grant to get a cadaver dog but what what got you interested in you you own dogs still yet today right and work them yes yes i still have two uh human remains detection dogs um i've always had one or two for over 20 years Um, initially they were paid for by the state when I was a medical examiner. And then when I retired, I had to, they retired one with me and I had to buy one, (laughs) uh, in order to keep the two that I had. And then I wrote a policy and procedures for having cadaver dogs in the coroner's office because the coroner, coroner's office never did have any. So, um, that's how I got started. I wanted to originally, I wanted to be a veterinarian, and in the early 70s, I had the, uh, I say I had the wrong plumbing. They weren't accepting females in veterinarian schools in 1970, so, uh, but I was able to get into medical school at that time, so uh, I've always loved animals, and that's always been in my background, so 
Um, this was just part of my desire to get back into some sort of animal-related field. You know, you, you refer to these dogs as human remain detection dogs, and of course I've referred to them as cadaver dogs, and I know they're kind of both, but it seems here lately the more I hear not only what you talk about but others, this human remains detection is becoming more of the proper term, or has the term changed, or what? Yeah, human remains detection dogs is more of the of the proper term now when they when they used to be called cadaver dogs. Yeah, so what brought along that change? Well, I think um, it technically sounds better, number one. But number two, when, when cadaver dogs, if you think of cadaver dogs, you think of them finding bodies. But human remains detection dogs can find uh, murder weapons because if they have human remains such as blood or tissue on a bat or uh, another device, they will alert on that too. So that helps you... Uh, find the uh, murder weapon, um, so they really are alerting on human remains, not necessarily a human body, as what you would think of a cadaver dog is doing. Okay, yeah, that makes that makes very good sense. And you know, there's been some times that I've had dogs used where they've reacted positively, but then we didn't actually find a body. Uh, and so then, you know, do we question the dog or not? But then later we end up finding the body and realize the body had been moved. It had been there. The dog knew a whole lot more than we did. Uh, so if it's a good dog that's been proven, you need to trust your dog. That's absolutely, yes. I even have a wristband that says trust your dog because the dogs generally will not fake you out. They don't know how to do that. All they are telling you is they smell the scent of human remains. You know, doesn't it means the body may have been there, or there may be evidence of the body there. Um, but they usually don't uh, fake you out. You just have to be able to work out what the dog is trying to tell you. It's uh, especially uh, interesting when you do water cadaver, of which I do, and most both my dogs are certified in water cadaver, you put them in a boat and you drive the boat around and the dogs will alert when they find, when they find a human scent coming up from the water surface. Um, they may not be right over the body because of current and wind, but they're telling you that there's a body in this body of water. So you have to be able to work with the wind, the current, and what the dog's telling you to get closer to and be able to tell the divers where the body is most likely in the water. What, what makes a good human remains detection dog? Uh, oh, man. I mean, I've trained and helped train a lot of different dogs, so I don't think the size makes any difference. Uh, most of the time, they are... Um, Hunting, hunting dogs or herding dogs like the German Shepherd, the Belgian Mal, the Border Collie, um, the hunting dogs such as the um, Labrador Retrievers and Golden Retrievers. Um, they all have to have some type of drive that makes them want to search for or to find something. And most of the time, I mean, I call it good prey drive. And it doesn't necessarily have to be prey drive for an animal, such as a cat or a dog, you know, another dog, but such as a ball. They want that ball, so they're going to 
find something in order to uh, get that ball as a reward. So the drive and the uh, of the dog is more important than the type of dog necessarily. Right. I could. Yeah, I could see how that would make sense. So going back just a little bit. I know that we're, uh, the dog is looking for human remains, so help our listeners understand a little bit about, I know it's in the training as far as what they're, uh, what they're trained to detect, but what is the biggest difference between them not finding a dead animal and finding a dead human? Is there certain, bio, is there certain biological aspects of that, or is it just the scent itself? What prevents them from hitting on animals and Okay, it is both. It is both training and a chemical. Uh, decomposition of a human uh, emits certain chemicals that the dog picks up and learns and learns to pick up that are totally different than most animals. Uh, the closest you would have to a human remains chemical scent would be a pig. Believe it or not. Um, so the fit, the pig has more chemicals associated with human scent than anything else. And the other thing is training. When I train, I always have, um, distractors, what we call distractors out in the training area. And they could be deer, pig bones, uh, dead animals. And in the environment, whenever you do a search, you're going to come across a dead animal. Well, they know that that's not what they need to find, and it is the smell and the chemicals that they learn through training that keeps them from alerting on an animal and only look for human scent. Now, in the drug world, they use uh, pseudo-drugs to train uh, their dogs. In, in the human remains detection world, do you use any pseudo-product, or is it all real biological product? Um, I use all real biological products. There is uh, a company that makes Pseudoscent 1 and Pseudoscent 2. Um, most do- uh, few, uh, there are people that use Pseudoscent uh, chemicals, um, and they generally can find most cadaver stuff. I have, um, I've, done, I've tried to do both, and most of my dogs will find human remains, real human remains. They don't always find the Pseudoscent. So the pseudo scent may be missing something that the dog has learned through doing uh, the real stuff that may not be in the pseudo scent. So um, you can do both. Uh, in some countries, you can't use human remains at all. Uh, so that's very difficult for them to train um, human remains detection dogs. But I use the real stuff. Right, and I believe that in my opinion, would be the best to use the real stuff. And so and what little experience I have with that, um, that's what they used as well. But let's let's talk just a little bit about a, a potential scene. Uh, we, we have a reason, let's say, to bring in a human remains detection dog. Um, and, you know, we're going to call your agency or someone similar to you. Uh, what do we as investigators, what would you tell us as investigators to look for at the scene, what to do, what not to do, when should we call, uh, you know, so we don't mess something up. What, what do we need to watch for? Um, well, if you're, if you're using straight human remains detection dogs that are not trained to find live and dead, um, people in the area don't bother those particular dogs. Uh, 
so you don't, you know, you don't have to clear the area. You can have ground pounders in the area. You can have all kinds of searchers, live people in the area. It will not bother the true human remains detection dog. Um, my biggest problem when, when they call and ask me if I can come search an area, I want to know how large it is how dense it is, meaning the type of terrain, whether, you know, whether it's full of bar, bar, bars and all that type of stuff that is difficult for a dog or a human to get through. You know, I need to know whether it's land or water. I want to know how long they've, the person that they're looking for has been missing. So I know whether I'm looking for skeletal remains or recent, recent decomposed bodies, the recently decomposed say a week old case is much easier for a dog to find than one that's 12 years old because now we're talking about dried skeletal remains that are scattered somewhere. So there's, uh, and how large the area is. When they call me, I want to know the size of the area because I need to know how many dogs I've got to have at that search. If they want to do a search in one day, I need to know how many acres we're talking about because a dog can only work so long and then they've got to take a break. Um, so there are a lot of environmental factors uh, within the search. Time has a time and how long the person's been dead is very significant. There are a lot of people that train their dogs on fresh or severely decomposed, but they don't train on dry bone. So their dogs may have a little difficulty finding the 12-year-old site of scattered skeletal remains because the dogs never had that in their scent picture before. So there's, yeah, there's a lot of stuff I ask before I ever go on a search. Well, and, and you say the dog might have a little difficulty in finding the bones. If they've never been trained on bones, I would, I would, would it be safe to assume that they probably would be impossible for that dog to find those bones? bones if they're only trained on decomposing flesh you know muscle tissue and skin and hair and things like that wasn't that be a totally different scent and training than just dry bones that are 10 years old um we know from the most recent scientific uh evidence of chemicals that are emitted because I supplied um, levels of decomposition, including blood to dry bone, uh, we know that there are a few chemicals that are similar at all levels. Now, obviously, there's more chemicals that they would pick up in the, in the really decomposing area than they would on blood, just single blood, and on dry bone. But um, if the dog is very good, I've seen dogs that have never been introduced and they, they may find, they may not do a total alert, but they will stop and check that particular bone. Um, other dogs may totally pass over it if they've never trained with bone. And I've seen the reverse. I had one guy that all he had was a couple of dry bones that he trained his dog with. Could he find really decomposed uh, body? No, because the dog, he was overwhelmed by the scent. So he couldn't, I mean, he didn't even know what to do with that amount of scent. So you can have the reverse also. Yeah, I, I think I can understand the dog's pain when you're talking about he's overwhelmed with the scent. So are we. So <laughs> on a freshly decomposed <laughs> body. <laughs> so. That is true. They, it, actually, the scent alone, for some dogs that are trained, you know, with a smaller scent, 
will get you to the to the body, but then they will not do their final trained alert, which might be a sit or a bark, because they're so overwhelmed with the smell that they're not exactly sure they got you there, but they're not exactly sure, is this really what I'm supposed to tell you I found? So, yeah, it's it's fun to watch the dogs, and when they find a whole body, it's very interesting to see what some will do. Yeah, so- some even go away, run away. They'll get you there, and then they go, oh, my gosh, and then they run away. <laughs> oh, that is hilarious. So, yeah, because yeah. they're just not trained on it. That's just too much for them. Yeah, so so that's where yeah. you want a well-rounded yeah. dog that's been around for, for several years, you know, uh, to, to know to know what they're doing. You know, years ago, I of course, I've been in the corner business and the sheriff's department business for years and years, and I'm going back probably, I don't know, 15 years ago probably. I had a cadaver dog. Uh, it was a small lab and and i was kind of self-training working with another trainer and it, it was all um you know i was going to get it to a point that i could maybe go to real training and get it certified and she was finding i was using real product and she was finding and she was doing a you know a decent job for what i knew to train on and her obedience was good and all that but one day she was she alerted uh way off where i where i was training her at and anyway, long story short, we were out, we were out behind the house, but she alerted on my son's track shoes. And I, uh, at that point we threw his huh? track shoes away because we bought him new ones. They were that bad with, you know, with human skin and, and sweat and decomposing whatever inside his shoes. She hit on those shoes. And, and that would not be unusual. Uh, we've had drowned victims in cold weather that have de- taken their clothes off because of the cold, cold, cold weather and left them on the edge, you know, in the water by a pond. And the dogs have alerted as if the body is in the pond and they're not, but you're getting the scent off of those, off of those articles of clothing that have skin cells and, you know, all that human scent that they were trained to pick up. So the dog is not wrong. It's just that the body is not there. It's you're getting some human scent that they're telling you about so yeah i i would not be surprised <laughs> right and that's where we go back to trusting our dog you know and and we you know we've looked for a few bodies in our county where we've used dogs here recently um and we you know we again back to my first story i thought you know maybe the dog was wrong this, this dog is a trained proven dog i know this dog ain't wrong you know is a different handler and they brought it down and mm-hmm. and we've used them a couple of times well we find out later that it is 100 percent true the dog knew way more than we did uh, the body had just been at one point and then moved and then um, found someplace else. But this dog indicated when we finally found the body indicated was uh, in it, it was, the body was very deep and, and, and it actually indicated in an area that took us a little bit of, uh, of digging to find. But we found that the dog knew way more than we did. And even by poking holes in the ground and helping it, you know, maybe get the fresher scent. Um, we were like 10 feet down. Is when we finally found because it was a backo dig, and that dog, that dog found mm-hmm. that dog could find stuff coming out of that ground from a ten foot hole. Yes, yes, it's incredible. They are incredible. And when you think I'm one of one of my dogs, we had a skull that was found on the ground in an area where they'd cleared the woods. We're going to put new sewer lines in and build some, you know, that used to be a wooded area. Well, we have this skull now, and I say, okay, well, this, you know, looks like it's been partially buried, whatnot, looking at it. 
bring the dogs out. They alert where we found the skull, but then two dogs alerted way past there. I mean, you know, where a tanker, where a tanker was and rocks had been put in there and they'd had a gas filling thing. Well, I mean, you know, do you believe that? Oh, I didn't. Well, we dug where we first thought it should be with the dogs kept saying in another location. So after we didn't find anything, we went to the other location and there down five feet was the rest of this body. It just happened to scrape over and get the head because it wasn't at a flat burial. It was, you know, more at an angle and the head got scraped up and the rest of it was still in the ground. <laughs> you know, you got to trust your dog. So, you know, we would have really missed that yeah. had we not gone, had the dogs not been there. Yeah, that, so. I could see that. And and again, the dogs, I mean, of course, a dog could make a mistake. But like you said, the dog doesn't know about tricking mm-hmm. you. And the dog just knows to do what it knows to do. And, and um, if it's a proven dog, then, yeah, sometimes it's hard for us to trust dogs because we, the problem is we put our own thought process into it. And we think we know better than this animal does. But yet we've spent thousands of dollars on training this animal. Why are we... Uh, agreeing that this animal is probably right because it doesn't know anything except okay go find this get my ball that's all it's doing that's correct but I'll, I'll tell you what I have I have thought too much in my you know being a medical examiner and being a coroner and then using a dog and I'm going hey that dog can't be right it's you know and you know you just have to realize that these dogs don't think of well I'm going to trick her today and I'm going to you know not alert or not do you know and and they don't they don't have that in their system they either find it and let you know or they don't <laughs> and right. i have to admit most most of our searches are speculative searches where there is nothing to find you know and people get so discouraged because they say well gosh, you've been out and you didn't find a thing. And I'm going, that's because there's nothing there, you know? So right. it's difficult to trust them, but so yeah, what do you they're, do with your they're dog? not trained to trick you. So what do you do with your dog? If you, you know, they are speculative searches. You go out, you search, you find nothing. Uh, what do you do on your mm-hmm. end to keep the dog motivated? Because again, it doesn't know to trick you and all it's supposed to find something. It didn't. But it still wants its reward for trying. What do you do on that end as a trainer? How do you keep the dog motivated? Well, once once we're done with the search, if we found absolutely nothing, I still play with her. And I still get out her, her tennis ball or whatever reward it is. And we play. We play for about 30 minutes before we get in the car and head home. Because she's done a good job. She's done everything I've asked her. And she hadn't found a thing. She doesn't, I don't think she really cares whether she finds it or not. She cares if she gets a reward at the end, no matter what happens. And when I'm in a boat and she, and they alert, um, they don't get a treat. They don't get a reward at all. Cause I don't know that they're right. But when I come back to the, when I get back out of the boat and into the car or in before I get into the car, they get to play no matter what they've done whether they've alerted or found something or whatever. So that's how they keep simulated. They know at the end of the day, they're going to get some kind of great reward. <laughs> as long as so. they get to do, as long as they're doing their job and play and it's all play to them. Yes, that's it. If you make it that way from the very beginning, you will have a happy, happy, well working cadaver dog. I knew a, a fire marshal years ago that uh, had a, you know, an accelerant scent dog. 
And uh, every every night, you know, you have mm-hmm. to, you have to keep your dogs trained as you do. You know, listening to your training uh, regiment every week would probably be more than we could do because you got to keep these dogs trained. But every night, um, he would uh, have these his scent stuff, and the dog would have to properly find an accelerant, and then the dog ate. If the dog didn't properly find it, then the dog didn't eat. Now, three or four or five hours later, he would run the dog out again. The dog would correctly do it, and then he would feed his dog. He would never let his dog go hungry. But the point is, every night, they had a little bit of play time, a little bit of ball time, a little bit finding some accelerant. And then after all of that, then he ate supper. And it was just keeping the dog every day in finding some type of an accelerant. Because sometimes you go, as you would as well, sometimes days, if not weeks, before actually on a case case. And you've got to keep your dog motivated about this on a regular basis, right? Right, yeah. I train every week. I don't train every day. I don't ask them to sniff cadaver every day. They get fed on a regular basis. But we try, I train them every week. Uh, we do wilderness or water or buildings or cars or something every every week. So they get to smell it every week, and they're pretty well they they're pretty well trained and attuned to it. So, so what's the difference in training when it comes to just like an air scent area training or water uh, or air scent or mm-hmm. water scent or or if you are doing buildings, is, is there anything specifically different in how you train those dogs, or is it all just environment? Find what's in the environment. Um, mostly, it's environment and find what's in the environment. Now, water is a little bit different because. For a dog to get into water and alert, you want him to be able to get closer and closer to the scent source. Now, I can put a dog in my pond out here, and they will immediately tell me that I have put scent in this water because I don't have a big enough lake to do it in. But but I'm training them then uh, by going closer and closer to the scent source to get closer, to get to, to wait and let me know when you get a stronger scent. And since I know where it is, I can train them to do that. So they don't just hop in the boat and say, ah, it's here. They, they will now wait, you know, until they get into a stronger level to let me know. Oh, yeah. So water's just a little bit different or a little bit harder, I think, than any kind of land, cars, buildings, or otherwise. Now, is that a different level of certification? Is that a, something different? For a dog to have to have that certification? Totally different. Yes. It's a totally different certification. You get certifications for human remains detection on land, and you have a certification for human remains detection on water. Same scent, but just different environments. Yeah, I can see how that could be harder. So there, you could have a dog that was extremely good on land, buildings, cars, things like that, and and maybe not so good in the water or vice versa. But but water adds a, a whole different element to this because it's not just, like you said, you're trying to get them closer, but also the area that they need to be in has to be something different thought process for the dog. That That's correct. and And it takes more handler and dog cooperation on water than than it does on land because if the dog can get to it you don't have a question a dog on the boat you have to be able to watch the dog direct the boat into a into an to a closer area based on what the dog is doing based on how the dog is moving how the alerts are going 
Now, I've had, I had one dog that I couldn't train on land because he got so distracted with all the other scents and stuff. But he was an awesome dog in the boat. In a boat, he can't run over and check a tree and do all that kind of stuff. He's stuck in the boat. So now he's got to, he's got to sniff the air and, and you go along with me until, uh, in the boat until he gets into the scent of human scent. So he was good in the boat, but he was horrible on land. <laughs> yeah. I never bothered to get him certified on land because he just wouldn't, he wouldn't focus enough. But on the boat, he didn't have a choice. Yeah, that's interesting. Sure. And then again, that's another uh, point mm-hmm. that dogs have different personalities, uh, which brings me to my, my other thought here. Yep. Not only are you training the dog, uh, it takes a good handler as well, right? The handler needs to be trained not only to read the dog, but to work the dog properly. That's correct. And my mo- most of my difficulties when I train other people most on Fridays, um, th- the hardest part is the handler, not the dog. Once the dog gets it, it's not the dog's problem. It's the handler usually that messes it up. Yeah, because the handler has to not only know how to read the dog, right, but he has to learn to, well, like what we talked about, he has to learn to trust the dog and know what the dog is, uh, uh, how it's alerting. Now, do you train your dogs to alert uh, the, the ones you're involved in the same way, or does each dog have a different way of alert based upon that dog's personality that works best for the dog? Over all the dogs that I've had my entire life, most of them, they, the final response is a bark, but they have in between that, like one sat and then barked. I have one that stares at it and barks. I got into the bark later on because I don't want the dog to leave. You know, you, you have dogs that do a refine. They find it. They come back to you and tell you, oh, yeah, I found it and, and take you back to where the location is. In wilderness, that's really difficult for a dog to do a refine because you may not even know where your dog is for a long time uh, because they get out of sight. The scent takes them in a location and you or, and you don't move that fast. So with a bark, I know they've, number one, found it. Number two, I can hear from the bark where their location is. So I like the bark. Um, as a final response to uh, the alert, especially in a boat. It's wonderful in a boat, too. That's not to say that a down or a sit, you know, the hassle is you've got to find your dog in the wilderness after they've found it because a dog will lay there and wait for you to show up (laughs) if uh, he's found it. Right, so you're going to have to put a search and rescue dog to find the dog. So... Uh, so how, yeah. <laughs> do you allow, you allow them to air scent and, and not to, you know, you go find and return and find and return, but you can't let your dogs work very far ahead of you then because you might not hear the bark. That's correct. So they know it too far. Uh, I train my dogs if they get, uh, too, too far from my location where I can't see them, I go too far and they began to circle around me closer to where I can see them. It's all training a dog, oh, yes. and and cadaver dogs are hard to train because they're not on the leash. So I mean, there's a lot of commands and understanding and working between the dog and the handler uh, to make a good human remains detection dog. Right now, a little bit different, but uh, but my thought process here. Uh, 
I have some coon hunters in my family, and and the coon hunters uh, they put uh, mm. these collars on these dogs that that they can they have a GPS tracker in their hand, and they can see exactly uh, where the dog is, how many yards or even miles away that dog is now well, coon hunting is different because that dog could take off and go wherever but they also can communicate with that dog yeah. a whole lot further than our you know walmart electric shock collars these things work way distance but they can communicate with their dog based upon some yeah. beeps and things and bring the dog back in uh you know of course some dogs won't come in if they're on a scent but so have you worked with any of these uh, of dogs in your industry that, that may have a gps tracker on them where they can go further but if you see the dog see what they have when the dog trees it tells them the dog is stopped so if it's stopped they assume it's treed yeah it would be di- kind of similar yeah. wouldn't it on your case yeah they are they are coming up with newer and newer apparatuses that would work for search dogs. Uh, I just have not uh, used them. Uh, I have a GPS uh, for my dog if he gets out of the vicinity and I can't find him. <laughs> In other words, he hasn't found anything, so I don't hear a bark or anything else. Uh, and and he's too far that I can't. But I don't I don't let them get that far. They have it too far. They wait for me, and I make sure that I cover the area that was given to me, such as if I have an acre, I have to. I have a plan of my search plan where that I cover that acre and don't cross into somewhere else, so I can tell the search people that I have cleared this particular area. So it's a little bit different than the the hounds that are going to you know to tree a raccoon or whatever. I mean, you have to have control and you have to be able to tell exactly where your dog has been so that you know that that has been searched. Yeah, certainly. So I don't let them get far enough that I cannot guarantee that there's no dead body in this area of which I was asked to search. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. So it's a little bit different. Sure, 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 but yeah. but 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 it's still a tracking collar that you could you know it you could still see where they're at a little bit, but certainly you don't want to get them very far away. So and you might not be able to remember, and if you can't remember, that's that's okay. To your career so far with your human remains dogs, do you know how many bodies you have been involved in finding? Ah, uh, you know, um, I would say ten to twenty. And that's interesting because, you know, that's like, that's like one a year. Because uh, uh, like any cadaver dog, most of your searches are negative searches. You rule out or clear an area because you're going on somebody saying, oh, I thought I saw him down, you know. So, and I would think that's true with all cadaver dogs, that the majority of their searches are negative searches. So... But I'm I'm sure uh, you know at least twenty, maybe more, um, that I've helped find uh, and identify. Right, right. Oh, and over thirty years, again, that's about that's about one a, a year or so. But then also a if, year. I know yeah, it sounds pathetic, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. But you know, again, you're not called out every day, every week, and then so again, most of them are negatives, and and that makes perfect sense. Those of us in the industry that ever used them, you're right. It, most of them are negative. Uh, but you know, you also alluded to and you use them to, to for a car you know we've used them where uh they we've had them alert or, or, or check a car and they've alerted or not all it tells us is there was something in the car there was human remains in the car it allowed us to get a search warrant go further something like that uh, and we've gotten search warrants based upon here's the car you know 
the, the handler, you searched the car on the outside. It alerted. That got us a search warrant to get into the trunk to do more extensive search. Uh, and they're great for that as well. There's no body in there, but there was a body in there. Right. And then you can gather from that, uh, from that alert, you can gather evidence that may or may not help you in, in the court case. Um, you know, we've had, I've had, they've asked me to search homes where somebody hadn't been seen in so long. And so you go, or a fire where there was nobody found after the fire. And the, you know, the brother says, I haven't seen my brother since this fire. You know, are you sure there's no body there? You can take the dog in and the dog allows you to, you know, to break in. If the dog alerts outside saying there's a dead body in here. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's um, they're very helpful to that and and to the car deal. Now, can you can you go to court because the dog alerted on that trunk and you found no other evidence? No, because human remains detection dogs are nonspecific. You can't point it to any particular body or person for that matter. Yeah. You know, so um, it's it's tough when it comes to court. And the the trunk deal. <laughs> sure. Oh, certainly. And and the one example that I was using in this particular case, you know, we the the dog was used to alert on a car that that, that we assumed could have been involved. The dog alerted, and based upon the fact that the dog had a, a massive, great record, okay, well known dog, we were able to use mm-hmm. that to obtain mm-hmm. a search warrant. Uh, you know, because we used that as evidence of the right. affidavit. Now, then the search warrant, then we were able to get into the trunk. And then from there, we found the evidence that was proof positive that we needed. But we didn't have any ability to get into that trunk until we used the dog to tell us we should look in the trunk, basically. that Yes, that's correct. But there are some lawyers that like to use a dog's alert on the trunk to say, to, to, to press charges against whoever owned the car saying that they killed somebody and transported them into the trunk of the car and dumped the body somewhere else. And then there's no evidence after you legally, you could search the car, but they couldn't find any evidence in the car that a body had been there. You know, that one, that one, all you can say is a dog alerted on the trunk of the car for human remains. That's all you can say. Right, right, and it doesn't. You know, and that's been the that's been the hot topic recently in court cases using uh, dogs in cars. Sure, I, and I and I get that, but but if if a prosecutor would bring someone like you on to explain just that that the, the, the dog alerted on the fact that there was human remains in there, okay, well that could have been the owner of the car cut himself working on something, and there's blood there. They alerted on it. Okay, so the fact that we didn't find Susie Smith's blood in there doesn't negate the fact that the rest of the evidence points to the fact that your defendant killed Susie Smith. Um, but you have to explain what the right. dog's alerting on. Yeah, maybe Susie wasn't in that car. Okay, we get it. We accept that. Susie wasn't in that car that we can prove. Forget that part. But, yeah. you know, again, defense attorneys has to use what they can use, you know, to try to uh, tear apart the police's case. But, but again, uh, the dog did what That's it was correct. supposed to do. It, it, it found what it was supposed to found. It just can't tell you whether it was Susie Smith or John, Bob. It don't matter. It just did what it did. That's correct. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, Dr. Jones, I've kept you long enough here. I don't take much of your time. I do appreciate mm-hmm. you coming on. I've learned, I've actually learned some from this and very interesting conversation and we've just scratched the surface, but there, there's so much about these dogs that, that, um, 
you know, we need to rely on and use. And, and I and I thank you for sharing your 30 years of experience using these dogs uh, and, and some things that we can we can learn from e- even more. So and you, you are the coroner at Jefferson County in Kentucky. So. So I guess to yeah. everybody, all of our listeners in Kentucky would certainly know who you are. But of course, anybody else around the world that, uh, if they had a specific thing to, to to ask about dogs, what organization? Um, you know, we don't want everybody blowing up your phone at work. So, what organization or or uh, <laughs> that they could contact to find out more? Is there state, national organizations, things like that? You mean to find out more about cadaver dogs in general? Yeah, whether they wanted to maybe get involved in an association or whether they wanted to start training one or maybe they had Mm -hmm. questions, things like that. Sure. Um, uh, You can get online and look up um, Swig Dog. It's no longer there, but I was was, uh, part of Swig Dog as a federal agency. It's a scientific working group on dogs and orthogonal detection guidelines, they closed that down um, about a year or so ago and moved us to OSAC. So now I'm on part of the Organization of Scientific Area Committees for Forensic Sciences, trying to write um, information on um, search dogs, and that includes everything. So that has drugs and arson and human remains and life fine dogs and all of that. So those two, um, um, you can get on and find all the information you want for Swig Dog because it's still online. Um, OSAC, we're still writing it because they're more scientific and require, but I said, you know, a dog is not an instrument. It's not a scientific instrument. So, you know, how are you expecting us to write this as if it's a scientific proven instrument? Because it isn't. You know, dogs have good days and bad days. Right. But at any rate, we're trying to help them out uh, as far as that goes. So that's uh, the two that are out there right now that are up to date, pretty much up to date with the modern chemicals and training of uh, of dogs in that area. Right. So, so there are some... Uh organizations though like the north american working dog association or or csar Cesar, the, um, the national yeah national police dog association ipwada napwada national association of yeah yeah so there's a lot of police dogs so yeah there's a lot of other national associations that do talk with dogs yeah, uh-huh. yeah, that's great. So, well, Doctor Jones, thank you for your time coming on and and uh, pouring into us and and uh-huh. you know, giving us some more education on this. I just appreciate your time and and taking the time to talk to us about this. Okay. Yes. Thank you too. All right, I'm right back live with you here. A great conversation with Dr. Barbara Weekly-Jones, Jefferson County, Kentucky coroner. Of course, she was a state medical examiner for like 29 years. Uh, so she's retired and she's a coroner of Jefferson County. Great dog handler. She's uh, well known in her industry and in her field, like I said. So uh, I want to thank her again for coming on and, and sharing with us. There's some things that I learned that I hadn't known before. And of course, she reemphasized some things. I hope you got something out of that conversation. Uh, these dogs are great dogs. Trust your dog. There's a, a lot of ways that you can use them. And I guarantee you that there are organizations in your state uh, that has dogs that can be used. And one thing that I want to point out on this is, there are there may be a time and a place uh, rarely, but in most cases, uh, the ones that uh, do not charge for the dogs, 
I'm not. I'm not against somebody actually having a, a business with search and rescue dogs. Just watch. Make sure they're reputable. Uh, make sure that if someone's charging to bring their dog to your scene, that it is somebody that is reputable and the company is reputable. Because there is a lot of organizations in each state uh, that uh, gets funding and gets donations and get things that they can bring dogs to your scene. Um, if your department is going to have to pay a bunch to have them come out. You know, as long as you have a working relationship with them, you know that it's a reputable company, then I wouldn't begrudge that. But just check that out first uh, before you start paying for people to come out because there's a lot of high-quality, nationally certified dogs that come out and will work your scene uh, for free. So until next week, everybody, it's getting close to Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. I will probably talk before that, but I want to wish each of you a very, very happy holiday season. I thank you very much for being a listener of the Corner Talk podcast. Looking forward to 2018. Got a lot of fun things coming up for 2018. Uh, We're going to have a lot more uh, new trainings. We're going to have some contests. We've got some great guests scheduled. So we've got a lot of stuff for 2018 on the horizon. So remember, it's a, lot, it's a blessing season time. It's a time for you to be a blessing in some way to everybody you meet every day. And if I can do anything to bless you, then certainly let me know, and I'll do all I can to uh, fulfill that. So until next week, everybody, be safe. Thanks for listening to Coroner Talk, a DSPN media production. Visit our website at coronertalk.com. And be sure to like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash coroner training. 3617-1024 scene on route to morgue.